Well, this is it. They have come to the end. Um, one of the um, weird experiences that happened during the lockdown, and I think we all have our weird experience stories of something during the lockdown, but um, you know, that, that time when everything was online, we were kind of hunkered down in our apartments and homes. One of the things that was most awkward for me personally was um, watching church online. Partly because I was watching myself on TV, which was just <laughs> odd, and I never did get used to that. But on one particular Sunday, um, my wife and I sat down on our couch to watch the, the morning service online. I'd already record, recorded the message that week, so I was getting ready once again for the awkward experience of watching myself on TV and having a hard time listening because I'm thinking, oh, I should get a haircut, or, oh, I didn't know I had that weird mannerism, or, oh, different things. What I, what I didn't know is that particular Sunday, the leadership at Seabreeze had um, decided to take a part of the online service and um, do a, a deal about uh, me being at Seabreeze 30 years, because that was about the time when I'd, I'd been at Seabreeze for 30 years. And so that made it even more awkward. Um, but the next 24 hours... I received hundreds of emails. Um, they had cards that people had written, and I spent a lot of time, you know, just reading through those cards. And again and again, I just would tear up at the um, kind of the overwhelming awareness of the impact that God had made in people's lives through this church. And I had to, probably the hard thing for me was I couldn't respond to anything because we're all in our homes. And it was just, you know, kind of getting a wave of input, and I couldn't respond. And um, I wished I could have told everyone the truth that what we were really celebrating was God's faithfulness to all of us um, over these, those 30 years. And I wanted to tell everyone that if, if they could only see how thin the ice was under me personally at several times during the 30 years, uh, they would know that <clears throat> the only reason I'm, I'm still here is because of God's faithfulness. And if they, some of them knew, but not many of them knew how thin the ice was under us as a church several times over those past 30 years. Um, there were moments where I thought, I don't think this is going to survive. But again, God was the reason that I didn't fall through the ice and this church didn't fall through the ice, and we get to be here today. And I say all that to remind all of us that the kind of impact that Jesus intends us to have as salt and light is a group project. As I've said in the you part of the you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, is a personal you and a plural you, a singular and a plural you, a you all. And that's the way God uses us as individuals to make an impact. Not as we become amazing ourselves or famous, but as we work together in teams to carry out what it is that God wants us to do in bringing the good news of Jesus to this world. Because for me, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not the author of a best-selling book <clears throat> that has impacted the world. I'm not a well-known celebrity that gets everything they say and do and tweet broadcasted around the world. Um, I am just the pastor of a church that very few people know about. But this is how God changes this world. Impact is made as people who decide to follow Jesus and then band together in churches and ministries that some of them are big and impressive, but most of them are small. And then together we go about the business of loving people around us and sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And it's easy to miss how big this kind of impact is because it never makes the news it's really hard to notice. 
But on that particular day, I saw a little glimpse of it in those cards and emails because they represented people's lives that God had changed. In the last chapter of 1 Peter, so we've been looking through 1 Peter, the idea of how to be different in the way that Jesus called us to be salt and light. We went through chapter 1, the first part of chapter 2. Now we're going to skip all the way to chapter 5. So please, at some point, read the entire book. It's great. We just didn't have time to go through the entire book. But in the, in the last chapter of 1 Peter, we're given a, a fascinating description of the kind of person that God uses to make a significant impact. And it's addressed to the elders of the churches that he's writing to who lead. But its truth isn't, limpat, or isn't limited to those who have a formal position of leadership in a particular church or ministry. It's really the kind of person that God uses together with other people to team together and change the world. So here's the passage we're going to be looking at in this final session. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. To the elders among you, and I want you to hear this to you. You're not old, and you don't have a formal position probably, most of you, but this is to all of us. I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings. I saw Jesus suffer, he says, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Here's what he commands them. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. This is the kind of person that will make an impact for God in this world. Now, I'm using the word impact, but I think we all know the word impact originally comes from the field of physics. Uh, Isaac Newton is known as the father of physics. His first law was called the law of inertia. And I thought, oh boy, we've got a lot of smart students that may be physics majors, so I think this is right. But if not, it's just a pastor giving you basic information. You can check it out. But the law of inertia says that objects tend to remain in their current state unless acted on by an external force. And the event that moves an object is called impact. So when an object comes in contact with another object and changes its future direction. But of course, we're using impact in the other way that it's used, and that is the impact on people's lives, because objects are not the only thing that are impacted. People are also impacted. And like objects, we as people, we tend to kind of remain in our current state. You may have heard that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. That's just who we are. We, we tend to kind of get locked in on a set of patterns and a way we approach life. And unless there's someone or some set of ones to impact us, we'll probably just kind of keep going in the same direction. Something has to impact us to get us to change and move in a different direction. So in physics, it's energy that causes impact. In soul physics, the impact of people, it's relationships that cause the impact. Because we don't just physically bump into people and say, now you're changed. I mean, now you might be under arrest if you do that. So that's not how we impact people. We relate to them. We build a relationship with them. And then over time, we get to influence them and they actually influence us. It's the nature of relationships. And these four verses in 1 Peter identify the three forces of personal impact that will really determine over time the size of your capacity to impact people and be salt and light. And they're not presented in a list form. They're presented in a, a continuum. You know, continuum goes from one end to the other end. The continuum goes from low impact 
to high impact. And this is a continuum because impact is not something that we suddenly arrive at. We check it off the box. We're now high impact people and we're done. We're going to be high impact people the rest of our life. It's, it's more dynamic than that. It's something that we make progress in and we can actually regress in. And like everything else in life, it, it does have this kind of two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward kind of progress. Now, the three continuums of impact are identified in these verses by the two words, not and but. They describe the continuum, each of these. The word not precedes the low impact quality. And the word but precedes the high impact quality. So here are the three continuums of impact. Not because you must, that's low impact, but because you're willing, high impact. Not greedy for money, low impact, but eager to serve, high impact. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, the relationships God has given you, not lording it over them, low impact, but being examples to the flock, high impact. So we're going to go through these three and talk a little bit more about what this looks like practically. So we're going to use it, uh, I'm going to say this in terms of the high impact quality, but we're going, to, we're going to address the continuum. But the first category is high impact people grow over time from duty to desire. That's the direction that you want to go to be a high impact person. And the phrase is not because you must, but because you're willing. Must is duty, willing is desire. High-impact people are fueled on the inside by passion, not necessarily the way we often use the word, particularly a passion, a deep desire for what pleases God. Low-impact people are fueled by obligation. Now, the reason for the difference in impact is the size of the motivational fuel tank. Think of motivation as a fuel source, either a battery or gasoline. And everyone has a range based on their motivation. They will go a certain distance and then they're going to run out of motivation. And then like a car, they're just going to stop. And the reason motivation, the size of your motivation tank is important is because impact is not a singular event. Impact is a long-term investment. This is not driving to downtown LA. <clears throat> this is driving to Texas. Driving to Canada. This is a long trip. This is a big road trip. And that trip, that journey, can be very tiring. It's full of potholes called conflict and setbacks called getting lost. And if I have to is your only motivation, you're going to run out of gas long before you get a chance to really make impact in people's lives. So this is the first part of the impact continuum. We're going to actually put a continuum up here on the screen. Low impact is duty. So we're going to go from low impact on this side to high impact. So we want to move from duty to desire. If we're going to become people to make an impact for God in this world. Now, let me be clear. This is not an either or um, proposition. This is a continuum where direction and movement is what's most important. And that's because duty is not a bad thing. It's just not 
a long-term fuel source. In fact, duty is important. Without duty, you generally won't even get started on the journey of impact. So you start with duty, but it needs to be transferred over time to more desire and less duty. So the way I think of it is this. Duty is, is kind of like the scaffolding that surrounds desire and allows you to grow desire. So here's a picture of the scaffolding that was used a few years ago to renovate the rotunda at our nation's capital. So this is what scaffolding looks at. The point of scaffolding is not scaffolding. The point of scaffolding is to get the workers in position to construct whatever it is they're constructing. And then once that is constructed, the scaffolding goes down. The scaffolding is necessary. And it's the same with duty. It puts you in the position to build and grow desire. Let me give you some examples. For example, when our two kids were, were growing up in our home, um, a couple of things that we really wanted to develop in them was gratitude and the ability to give and receive forgiveness. That's not all we wanted to develop, but those were two really important things. And we wanted them to leave our home with the desire, with, the, with a, a desire in their heart to be grateful and a desire to clear up their relationships and ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness. But we did not start with desire. In other words, we didn't wait for gratitude to naturally rise out of their hearts. Why? We'd still be waiting. Because gratitude just doesn't bubble up on the inside. <laughs> it's not what our hearts naturally do. It's not what kids naturally do. So we would do things like teach them to say thank you when something was given to them or someone said something kind to them. So we teach them to say thank you. And once we taught that, that to them once, they never forgot that. No, that's not true. <laughs> they forgot it almost all the time. And so you've probably heard parents say, what do you say? Oh, thank you. Two minutes later, what do you say? Oh, yeah. Thank you. And this, I don't know how many thousands of times we had to say, what do you say? We, we try not to say it with that attitude. <laughs> what do you say? Because it just didn't naturally, it wasn't just a desire. It didn't naturally bubble up. And so this was, this was some scaffolding around gratitude. And then we taught them how to ask for forgiveness and how to give forgiveness. We taught them phrases like, would you forgive me for, and they'd look at us like, what am I asking? For hitting your sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> would you forgive me for hitting you? Okay, now what do you say? Yes, I forgive you. The next day, would you forgive me for hitting you? <laughs> what do you say? Yes. And I just have to tell you, there was a lot of wooden-sounding words of forgiveness. I mean, if, if you looked at it, it's like, and then, and then we would say, and then hug each other. And it was just awkward hugs. Because <laughs> the assessment was, I don't think they really asked for forgiveness, and I don't think they really gave forgiveness. They were just doing, they were parroting the words that we said. And we would explain why forgiveness is so important and why God is pleased by forgiveness and why he is a forgiving God. That's why we forgive each other. But, I mean, years would go on where we just have to coach them. Get out the scaffolding again of forgiveness. Climb the scaffolding. Get access to the break in the relationship and say the words. But eventually, after years, every once in a while, they would actually start to ask for forgiveness on their own. And I remember when it began to happen, it was like, wait, are you serious? Did you tell them? No, no, they just started doing it. 
And they started saying thank you without being told to say thank you. So what was happening is they were moving from duty to desire and becoming, in the process, people of greater impact. One of the dangerous ideas in our culture is that duty is bad. You know, it's kind of the idea of just follow your heart, often said, is, you know, just follow your passion. And then, you know, it's partly right. It's not, you know, the best lies have a seed of the truth in them, so that, that's partly right. Because if your heart never gets into what you're doing, you're never going to make much of an impact in whatever it is. But duty is the structure that's required to build a desire for what is right. Because our heart tends to desire things that aren't right. And we can't just tell our heart once, no, this is what we should desire, and then our heart goes, oh, right. Our heart has to be trained, and God has to help us. The reason we need the scaffolding is because sin has warped our passions. And they need to be realigned with what God says is right and good. So in the moment, we just tend to naturally struggle to do what pleases God. And in doing so, we struggle to make the kind of impact for good in this world that God intends. What we often want will feel good now, but will leave us empty in the long term. So that's why scaffolding, the scaffolding of duty, must be built about around what is pleasing to God. Then as you do that, consistently over time, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, will grow your desire for what is right so that you don't need as much scaffolding in that area. You know, in my, in my 20s, I was reminded by this, you know, talking with many of you, one of the things some of us talked about was, you know, the quiet time. And I remember in my 20s, uh, noticing that all of the leaders that I really respected seemed to do this quiet time thing. I mean, I couldn't think of one that didn't seem to have this be a major part of their life. So I decided I should probably do that. Spending time with God, reading the Bible, meditating on it, you know, that hand. So I started building some structure, put up some scaffolding around a time of daily reading of God's word and prayer. And some days, I really wanted to do it. Most days, it was just out of a sense of duty. And I remember doing it and thinking, all right, I guess I did it. I'd go on with my day, and it didn't, it didn't seem like the worth had shifted. I didn't see angels descending. It was like, well, I got to get going now. <laughs> I didn't feel warm and fuzzy. I, you know, some days, but not most. But I did it out of a sense of duty. Now, at the age of 63, I'll just tell you, it's the opposite for me. Most days, I look forward to it. Most days, I can't wait to do it, to spend time with God. Now, I'll be honest, there's some days where it's still duty. But instead of that being the majority, that's now the minority. But if I hadn't stuck with the scaffolding, then the desire in my heart would never have grown. So if you're trying to work on quiet time, for example, don't worry about how passionate your quiet times are. Just do it. You know, learn from other people. I had to keep trying to figure out, you know, some ideas and changing things up. But you've got to put up the scaffolding in order for the desire to, to grow. So the question that would be good to ask yourself is, where in my life do I need to construct some scaffolding? Some pattern, some duty, some structure around a desire for what God says is pleasing and is good. So if you've got a desire problem, it requires some scaffolding. Where is that? So that's the first part of the, the continuum. 
We move from duty to desire. Second part is this. High-impact people grow from getting to giving. The way it says this is not greed, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. So back to physics. In physics, for the most part, impact requires contact. One object cannot impact another object at a distance. Now, there is an exception to this. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But generally, objects impact each other by coming in contact, proximity, close contact with each other. And it's the same kind of thing when it comes to soul physics, the impact of, on people. You cannot be used by God to impact someone's life at a great distance from them. And I'm not talking about miles here. I'm talking about relationship. It's, it's as we get close to people and they give us a little more access to their heart that we get a chance to make an impact in their life. There has to be closeness to some extent. The problem is that for all of us, our souls are naturally defensive. We've got walls up. And that's actually good because people can hurt you. And so you shouldn't just trust everybody because you'll be in a world of hurt. So we all have natural defenses for our own protection. We're all cautious about who we let in. So how do you get past the natural defenses of a person's heart? The best thing you can do over time is to serve them. Just to be a practical help to them over and over again. Not just once, but as a pattern. I mean, just think of someone who has been a real help to you. Someone that you can call when you need something. Someone that's there to talk when you need to talk. Do you trust those people? Yeah. You don't have defenses up because they have given evidence that they're trustworthy. How? By telling you, trust me. No. If someone starts off by saying, trust me, don't trust them. But if they start serving you, there's no reason someone would serve you over time unless they really care. So let's add this to the impact continuum. Low impact is getting. High impact is giving. You know, greed is the opposite of serving. So it's not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Its focus is on getting, not on giving. So low impact is getting, high impact is giving. Now, like duty and desire, this is not an either or. This is a continuum because getting isn't bad. We have needs. The problem with our needs is they can expand into greed. Greed expands our legitimate needs into a relentless focus on getting more and more and more. And this ends up leaving little or no time to give and be of service to other people. You know, no one is ever impacted by how much we have. They're always impacted by how much we give. That's just the way it works. So we have to expand our desire and our capacity to give, to help people. So how can you tell where you are on this part of the impact continuum? Well, there's many ways to tell, but the, the way that's mentioned here is actually a pretty good indicator. The best indicator, I think, of, of how, how giving you are is your money. Money is the barometer of the heart. So Jesus said, where your treasure is, money's going to follow. There, or there your heart is. It's going to be right where your treasure is. You know, meteorologists use the barometer to measure barometric pressure because it is probably the most direct indicator, maybe other than satellite technology, but the most direct indicator of the coming weather. And it's the same with money in our heart. Money just doesn't lie. 
Our hearts are very complicated, but if you just want to know whether the heart is oriented out towards people or inward towards itself, just look to see if any money flows out in generosity or whether it's always collecting. Now, of course, some money needs to be spent on your needs. You need to prepare for the future. It's fine to save. It's actually wise to save. But if there isn't a pattern of generosity over time, again, I'm speaking to people that aren't working yet, mostly. Maybe some. So this will really be tested when you start making the big bucks. Then you'll get to see whether your heart is oriented outward or inward. So if you want to move the impact needle to the right on this one, start giving, start serving. Give your time, give your money to be a blessing to people. Number three, impact factor number three. High impact people grow from pushing people to change to pulling them toward change. The phrase is not lording it, not, not trying to push them around, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples. So in physics, as I said, there's no impact without contact. You know, one object cannot impact another object at a great distance with one notable exception, and that is the pull of gravity caused by the mass of an object. So for example, the tides of the ocean here rise and fall because of what? The moon. Very good. I knew there were smart people here. Does the moon ever touch the oceans? No. It's at a tremendous distance from the oceans. So how can the moon rise an entire ocean and push it back down? It's because of the mass of the moon. The same kind of thing occurs in soul physics. We are moved by the character of another person. That's what adds weight to the influence of a person's life, their own character, who they are when no one's looking. The weight of their example challenges us and calls us and pulls us and moves us. Lording it over someone is an attempt to push them to do something. You know, there's a lot of tactics in pushing and lording. You know, we use words just simply straight up to tell people what they should do. Sometimes we discover words aren't that effective, so we'll use our emotions. You know, we'll punish them emotionally or we'll pout or we'll, you know, emotions are a very effective whip. So we try to push them to do things. Being an example pulls people, and it has more impact. You know, one of the big surprises over this last year is in the war in Ukraine. Nobody expected Ukraine to survive. Definitely not this long. So why is Russia struggling to win the war in Ukraine even though they massively outspend and massively outnumber Ukraine, I mean, by a wide margin. Well, there's many factors, but I think one of them is one leader is lording it over those under him and the other is leading by example. Now, I'm not saying Zelensky is perfect. I don't even know the guy. But I still remember at the beginning when Zelensky was offered a life of exile in luxury by us. And he turned it down. Do you remember what he said? I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. And the Ukrainian people said, yes. And they were pulled and highly motivated. He's not just telling people to love their country and defend it. He's doing it. What he says matches his words. His personal sacrifice and his willingness to risk his life is pulling people to sacrifice. You can't push people to sacrifice. You can't push people to grow. You can't push people to become Christians. The power of God 
uses the example of your character. So let's add this to our impact continuum. Low impact is control. And when we focus on control, what our primary focus is on what they're doing and really what they should be doing and how we can get them to do that. High impact is character. We focus not on what they're doing, but on what we're doing. I mean, many of you ask me really good questions, you know, like, how do I, how do I share this truth with someone who doesn't believe in God? Or how do I share this with a family member that, you know, doesn't believe any of this? Or how do I, and I would say my general answer is, you can't push them. I mean, for me, this was one of the great discouraging moments of my life because I'm a communicator, and when I realized my words, the image that came to my mind is they're like ping pong balls. And I had the image of, you know, doing a message. I'm, 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 I'm crafting a message. I'm working really hard at it. So I've got my ping pong ball, and I'm painting it, and I'm, you know, putting some verses on there, and I got some neat things. And I go down the 4 or 5 freeway, and I wait for a semi-truck to come by, and I throw my ping pong ball at the semi-truck. And what happens? My ping pong ball is smashed, but the truck doesn't even know what happened. This is kind of the way it is with people. People are moving. They have a momentum, and your words are like ping pong balls. That doesn't mean you shouldn't ever say anything, but just it, it means that it takes the work of God in someone's life, and God uses your character over time. I wish I could just craft the perfect message, and just everyone would be, oh, yes, totally. I'm a different person. That's just not how it works. So I highly encourage you to dial down the control and dial up the character. Again, like duty and desire and getting and giving, this is not either or, this is a continuum. There are times when you are in charge and you need to set direction. You know, if you're a parent, you know, <laughs> you don't just stand around and wait until your kids notice, hey, there's something different about you. <laughs> Explain that to me. No, you're in charge. You need to take control. If, you know, if, if you're in an authority situation, like you're the boss on the job, you know, you, you've got to set direction. So, you know, don't, don't just sit around and wait until you're so amazing you glow in the dark and people are like, oh, wow, I should probably listen to you. Now, that, that's not going to happen. But you can grow in character. And that, that will make an impact over time. But that takes time. All of these take time. So that brings us to how do, how do we move the meter from the left side to the right side? Hopefully, you want to be a high-impact person. So how does the meter move? Impact advances on one track, humility. The way forward is almost always the way down with God. We grow in impact as we are honest about our lives. We ask for help, and we humble ourselves. We ask God for help. So it goes on to say, right after this, these continuum statements, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, the next verse is saying, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. But that's not just younger to older. Here, here's, here's for all of us. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and here's the reason why humility is so powerful, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. If you want God's favor, you want God's help, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You know, Newton's most famous law of physics is what? Law of gravity. Law of gravity is the force that pulls objects downward towards the Earth's surface. In soul physics, there is a similar law. It's called the law of humility. But it's not like gravity in that it's an external force that happens whether we want it to or not. Humility is a chosen position that invites the power of God. And the power of God is more powerful than the power of gravity. 
It's the decision that we have to make over and over again just to humble ourselves. Now, the way God works on this is he gives us time to humble ourselves, and if we won't, he humbles us. Now, we can still choose to be arrogant as he's pushing us down. But in my experience, I highly recommend the choose-it-for-yourself option. (laughs) Don't wait for God to say, all right, it's time for the elevator to go down. That is usually a painful ride. So in every way you can, choose humility. How do we do that? Well, it says, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. That's an interesting phrase, clothe yourselves. Basically, you got you to get some humility wardrobe on, you know, in your closet. you gotta, you got to get a humility jacket. So let me suggest for you at least four humility outfits that you can wear. The first one, these are for different situations. The first outfit is the following outfit. In following. So try to figure out how you can get under the authority of someone in different areas of your life. You need someone who you go to as your authority. In other words, what that means is they may not have a formal position, but you will listen to and you will follow. Spiritually, you need spiritual authority. Probably need authority in whatever career path you're heading. If you get a job, you'll have an authority. Even if you start your own company, you'll have an authority. It's called the bank. (laughs) Or stockholders eventually. The fast track to future impact is following. The worst followers make the worst leaders. The best followers make the best leaders. So eat the humble pie and learn how to follow. Get that following jacket on, button it up, and wear it. The next humility outfit, in conversation. Whenever you're in conversation with someone, you can put on the humility conversation outfit. Here's what this one looks like. You choose to do more listening than talking and more question asking than opinion sharing. This is a good thing to do just in conversation now tonight. Now, now don't get all awkward about it because if, if two of you are just going to ask questions and no one's going to answer, then it's not going to be a conversation. But I just try to think, okay, so did I walk away from that conversation? Did I ask more questions or was I just waxing eloquent? Now, if they're asking me a question, it's okay to answer. But I, I want to take an interest in them. That, that's, that's humility in a conversation. I'm interested in you. That's a humility outfit. Here's another humility outfit that we don't like. It's whenever you find yourself in conflict. So whenever you're sideways with someone, go to the closet, pull out the conflict humility outfit, and put it on. Here's what that looks like. Be quick to consider what you might have done wrong and ask for forgiveness rather than be quick to clarify what they have done wrong. Humility says, all right, I'm going to focus on my side of the street here. I'm going to focus on what I did. That's humility. Most conflict, we focus on the other side of the street, what they did. Humility outfit number four is in failure. When you fail... Don't beat yourself up. That's not humility. That's actually arrogance. When you beat yourself up, what you're saying is, I, I, I'm better than this. It's like, no, you're not. You just failed. <laughs> Don't lie to yourself. You're a mess. You're not better than this. This is what you just did. So just be honest. Be honest with a few that you trust And ask for help. Tell them what's going on. Ask for help. Rather than cover up and pretend we're all fine here. So those are, and there's more humility outfits, but hey, that's a great start to your humility wardrobe to clothe yourself in humility. 
if we don't, as I said, if we don't humble ourselves, then God will. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. When we get into pride, we are asking God to oppose us. Why would anyone knowingly do that? I mean, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I want the creator of heaven and earth to line up in opposition to me and just run me over today. <laughs> no, you wouldn't knowingly do that. But whenever you allow arrogance to rise in your heart, you're just saying, hey, knock me down. I'm right here. Make this the worst day. Oppose me. No, don't do that. But if we just humble ourselves, the reverse is going to be true. God shows favor and lifts us up. And here's the hard part in due time. When? When he decides. Really? We have to wait? That's part of humility. Only God knows when due time is. So what's at stake with this impact continuum? Why does this matter? Why not just do whatever you want, focus on yourself, reject the hard and long and humbling process of growing in impact? Well, Peter says this at the end, 1 Peter 5.4 of that list of three impacts. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? Jesus Christ. When he shows up, wraps up history, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So when Jesus, the chief shepherd, the one who's made the largest impact on this world, when he wraps up history, when he returns, he's going to hand out crowns of glory to those who have joined him in making an impact in this world. Now, we think of a crown, we're like, yeah, it's not really my style. We don't see people wearing crowns unless it's some kind of beauty contest or something. But it, what a crown represents, it's a symbol of tremendous status and accomplishment. Every earthly crown fades and its glory will die, but this crown never will. So what this is saying is in exchange for cooperating with God in doing the hard work of impact for a few short decades. And that's what this life is. I mean, I remember in my 20s, it was like, I'm going to live forever. And now I'm thinking, wow, that was short. <laughs> so in exchange for a few short decades, we get to feel good in the presence of God about being a part of what he is doing in this world. We get to feel good about that forever. That's what this is saying. Now, I don't know about you. That's an opportunity I don't want to miss out on. And that's what this life is, the one and only opportunity that you and I have to make the kind of impact that God invites us to make with him in this world. So I want to leave you with a few next steps to consider. What part of your life needs some scaffolding? The way to kind of figure this out is on the desire category. Where are your desires off track? I mean, you know what God wants, but you, you keep desiring something different. Probably need some scaffolding. I would recommend talking to someone that's ahead of you to try to figure out where you get that scaffolding and how you put that up. So where is, what part of your life needs some scaffolding? Then which of the three continuums does the Holy Spirit want you to work on? Which one of those that we've gone over? And then lastly, how can you humble yourself this week? Now, if you want to get it done this week, it'd be best if you could do it tonight. But how can you humble yourself? Again, false humility is going before someone and saying, I'm just an awful person. No, that's pride, actually. Who are we talking about? Me. That's false humility. Real humility. How can you humble yourself this week? By the way, you can, you can work on two of these. You can work on serving, because that's a humbling thing, and advance that continuum. Let me, let me pray for you as you move on to hopefully come up with 
a crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's pray. Father, we kneel before you, the one from whom your whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And so we, we take our place in a long line of people who have knelt before you, that lived long before us, and who are now bowed before you in heaven. And we take our place in a long line of people around this world who name you Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and who bow before you. And we're just one of a long line of kneelers. And we pray that out of your glorious power, you would strengthen us on the inside so that, Christ, you would dwell in our hearts through faith. We, we don't have the power to trust you. We need help. And then I pray for everyone here that has been rooted and established in your love for them. They've made the decision to accept your love. And I pray that they would come to know how great is your love for them, how wide and long and high and deep is their love, is your love for them. And that this wouldn't just be an intellectual knowledge, but they would come to grasp how amazing this love is that you have for them. And out of that, their hearts would come to be full to the measure of all the fullness of God. That all the other things that we tend to do, and our, our world definitely does, trying to stuff their hearts with something other than you, that there, there would be no need for all of that because they have been filled with your love. God, I pray that everyone in this room would turn the years that you have yet for them and, and ahead of them, you would turn that time into impact so that more people in this world would come to know of the love that we know. I pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.